Richard, welcome back as always. So, how is it going? How is the preparation, Grand Cup, uh, and then second division? Uh, you already had a great start to the season or end to last year. However, you want to look at it with the BDFA Super Division title. So, how is everything going? Now, going okay. Uh, firstly, it, uh, after the BDFA league, we had a big squad churn. We had to mm-hmm. see a lot of players leave and a lot of new faces come in. And a uh, big aspect of uh, what happened in the BDFA was we identified a few gaps where we had to address. So, it gave us a big opportunity over the course of the season to see where exactly we lacked. And uh, uh, there was a break in April as well and they announced the other lockdown. So, uh, during that time, uh, we had to make some tough decisions in terms of uh, not seeing uh, certain players continue with us and also uh, pursuing certain targets. And uh, considering Durand has just come up with sort of uh, uh, brought in a new uh, sort of energy to the whole preseason course. Today, we complete uh, eight weeks. So, that's uh, two months that are done preparing towards this uh, qualifying bid. So, Durand Cup has come in at the right time for us to once again, uh, see where exactly we stand. And also, I think uh, most of the uh, many of the players that played the Durand Cup in the past, they've had mm. some amount of uh, success with it. So, uh, I mean, just coming in at the last moment was really good news. We were pursuing it also. I mean, uh, we were doing our best to sort of see what we could do to get included. So, yeah. uh, we really welcome the whole inclusion of the Durand. So, uh, you signed two foreigners this time. Both strikers, uh, Pedro Mansi and uh, Lucien Marian. Is that how you pronounce the name? Majan. Luca Maison. Luca Maison, yes. Because I, I never listen to IV commentary. So I do. Okay, listen, Luca Maison, yes. So last time you went without a striker. And this time you have gone with two. Because last time I always I said this to you and I said this to everyone. You look like the best coach team last time. It just was that it, the finishing was not there. So. What is the thought process in getting two strikers? And considering there's only two foreigners allowed, I am assuming you'll start with both of them as well. Yeah, both are definitely to start as long as they're available. Uh, just keeping in mind injuries, suspensions, and uh, uh, any illnesses and things. So, uh, as long as they're available, they are sure to start. And also, last year, the transfer window was a very complicated one. I mean, um, we could only pick the players who were already in India. We couldn't really import anybody from overseas because of the whole uh, visa and other aspects of it that were happening. So, uh, that dynamic was a little bit uh, of a challenge to manage. And we managed to get the players that we did. I think Robert and Opoku uh, worked with the plan and uh, gave us what we wanted. But I think, like you rightly identified, the scoring touch and uh, other aspects were lacking. I mean, we created a lot of chances. And all those stats that make a team look good and uh, what it would, uh, what it may be. But uh, and the other aspect also is that, I mean, we had seen with w- what happens when you have just a lone foreigner up front. He attracts a lot of the defensive attention. And uh, having two up front, uh, it uh, changes the dynamic a bit. It helps us, uh, uh, I mean, put in a lot more pressure into the final third. It gives a lot more assurity as well. So that's what we're aiming for. And plus... Uh, both of them have come off really strong seasons, really high uh, goal returns, and both in terms of assists as uh, well as uh, scoring them. Uh, Pedro Manzi's record speaks for himself, uh, and even uh, Luca did really well for Churchill, kept them relevant in the title chase. So uh, we've got two really strong personalities, and uh, yeah, give, I mean, the uh, fact that they were available, we had to pursue them, uh, it's sort of uh, giving us a lot of confidence to build the season around them as well as some really, really talented uh, Indian players. Yeah, there is also this thing, right? When you look at the team, most of them are so used to playing against one striker. And you bring, you have the chance now to play two. I don't know if you're going to play up two. I don't have to say all that. Two up, one behind, whatever it may be. They're generally not used to playing against two strikers, especially two foreign strikers. Is that going to be something that is probably in your favour or... Does the fact that you will have to sit with the Indian midfield and backline sort of negate that or you know cancel that? to say because even uh, Bhavanipur last season they had uh, signed two strikers that was Kalapaja uh, and uh, Kroma. Uh, Kroma tested positive so he couldn't feature. So we really didn't see that play out in uh, last season's uh, qualifiers. Mm-hmm. That was somebody who played with uh, two foreigners up front. So the dynamic really wasn't uh, seen. I think maybe it would have. Uh, Changed their fortunes as well had uh, both of them been uh, available. So, 
uh, not being used to do so i'm sure teams uh, i mean one thing is your uh, whatever tactics you have when you ask playing parallel or mm-hmm. off each other or one front one behind your tactics remain a secret for just the first 90 minutes that you play <laughs> after that you are you are exposed right people have watched you then they try and figure you out and uh, it's just that we have to be successful with what we're trying to do and uh, just control all the uh, processes and work hard towards getting the outcomes that we want so um, it's just about uh, imposing ourselves with uh, how exactly we want to play so asking you generally about coaching right coaching especially at the time of covid and there are so many uncertainties and there is always a fact that someone might test positive and uh, you are always concerned about all these things and there is constant changing in the narrative and the information that we are getting new variants old variants this is the problem that is a problem so how do you deal with all this on one side and focus on coaching on the other Uh, one of the squad composition, uh, we've tried our best to get pair, pairings everywhere. That is, I think any squad is built around those ideals, right? One is you get uh, one person who's an out-and-out expert, like one trick pony who does his one job really, really well. Uh, to back it up, we get the players who are a bit more versatile, can play central of the pitch, can play in wide areas, uh, guys who can play centrally uh, in midfield and then uh, wide and uh, on the wings. I mean, same person, different uh, attributes. Uh, I mean, I think most most of the coaches around the world have accepted that. Uh, I mean, this whole uh, COVID situation is not in our control. No matter how hard we try to sort of, uh, I mean, what sort of um, narratives we build around with the new variants and things like that, uh, I guess that's not in our control. We have to deal with it as it comes up. So, uh, but I mean, if at all we are planning uh, week by week, it's always back of our head that, okay, if this person tests positive, uh, then maybe we have to look at uh, these options, these options and... Uh, we've learned a bit of a lesson from last season as well where a couple of our players tested positive and two of the roommates had to be quarantined as well so mm-hmm. we've uh, sort of uh, addressed those uh, aspects but uh, once again i mean the vaccines are in i think uh, most of the squad is double vaccinated uh, mm-hmm. with the testing but we haven't had any issues no yeah. positive so at least uh, with the vaccination coming in regular testing it gives us a lot of surety in terms of uh, where exactly the squad stands and as far as the illness goes over and above mm-hmm. that obviously the bigger challenges are unforeseen uh, injuries and uh, things like suspensions and stuff that uh, come in but that's part of the job i think eventually yeah. uh, players push it uh, as well and then they are prepared to sort of step in when we need them to and uh, uh, that aspect of managing uh, players in terms of just be ready we will need you and things so uh, that's been a constant dynamic in how we are ma- managing the squad So you mentioned something about uh, learning from your last time uh, that you played the second highly qualifier as it's called. So what can you elaborate on some of the other learnings uh, apart from you know these things that you already mentioned, like on the field? Because for you also it was a big challenge, right? It was a big step up in competition. So I mean, like overall, um, I mean one aspect I think we spoke about it uh, last time as well. This uh, anything to qualify and progress comes at the end of a season, right? That mm. is. Uh, you get uh, promoted or relegated at the end of uh, 20 matches you get promoted mm-hmm. uh, I mean you get into playoffs after playing out a whole season mm-hmm. the finals at the end of it but uh, last mm-hmm. year as well as uh, this year our season openers are a high consequence uh, yeah platforms. it is so uh, i mean uh, we are fighting for promotion and stuff uh, right from the word go so uh, it gets a little bit uh, i mean uh, difficult to manage this whole uh, not difficult but again we can't really reflect too much on what's been happening earlier so um, yeah i guess it's uh, you're asking what exactly we are looking to build on or what the lessons were number one the squad composition we had to bring in a lot more experience we had a really a young squad over there and uh, again we brought in uh, players of uh, with a lot more uh, playing minutes at the higher level that is the isl and i league guys who've seen that guys who've had a lot more championship winning experience know what it's like to uh, be around uh, winning dressing rooms and but that's what we've uh, prioritized a lot, a lot more even when you look at uh, the squad that played the, the BDFA league we've looked to upgrade on uh, just the characters that are there in the team so uh, can i ask you about that goal that uh, high consequences volley that uh, that was scored in the superdition last minute which one there was a last minute volley right that happened in the superdition yeah uh, so what was the emotions there because this superdition was great like i was there towards the last I mean, earlier part i wasn't there 
but uh, I attended all the games in the last, last maybe one week or 10 days or whatever. And all of these games are really high consequences and you had conceded the goal and then to go and score at the other end with that... Uh, that, was a, that was a goal. That was one of the best goals I've seen in life uh, at the stadium. So what was the emotions after that? And then you can also talk about the other goal which came when you actually won the title. Uh, the header that happened. So uh, what were the emotions going on at this time? Because these are moments that uh, defined your season. No, one is... Uh... The the game before that was a loss, right? And uh, we mm. started off the season wanting to uh, win the local title. And uh, BDFA League, what happens is uh, it's it's all okay till the top two meet, right? Because everybody comes in there with a high win percentage. That is, uh, it depends on uh, number two, one, two, and three uh, losing to each other that decides the table. I mean, what happens uh, between the top three rather than uh, mm. what happens at the bottom? So uh, dropping points against uh, Kickstart. Uh, Left, I mean, it wasn't a good feeling, and uh, then we had uh, BFC coming up uh, right after that. So, um, it's hard to, I mean, like at that moment, you're not really uh, registering, you're just still locked into the game. There were still five more minutes to play after that uh, goal went in because there was uh, added time and stuff. But yeah, at the end of it, uh, we knew we were three points away from uh, securing the title. I mean, just that it gave us a lot of assurance. We're talking about uh, defining the season and things at least. Um, uh, you you can't plan for these things. It was from a free kick. Uh, uh, Robert tested the ball down. Ronaldo converted it. So this is uh, nothing that comes uh, that's come off the training ground or anything like that. It's just uh, emergency football, right? We had all the bodies up there, <laughs> chucked the ball in, and uh, within two touches uh, we found the back of the net. So um, in terms of gratification, it's just that the boys showcased uh, improvisation. They showcased a lot of. Uh, uh, desire and bit. It was nice to see the entire bench coming off, uh, all the staff and things, including uh, physio and whoever was uh, in and around that whole uh, environment, just uh, going all in and uh, celebrating. So, uh, those are things that you really register. I mean, uh, that's one aspect that we're really careful of the environment and bit where we get very protective about it. And uh, we like to have uh, buy in, at least in the good times, uh, we like to see everybody be a part of it and celebrate it together. So that was a big part of it. And talking about the other goal against Deccan, we knew these guys would uh, put up a tough fight with uh, 10 people behind the ball. We would really have to sort of work for it. And then again, rebound from a corner, uh, crossed it in. Uh, Robert was up there to uh, do the job for us again. So, I mean, um, uh, and like I said, I'm, despite uh, the whole BDF success, there has been a major squad churn where... Uh, uh, one is that we did learn a lesson that the uh, difference between BDFA league level and second division uh, is uh, not as tight as what we would see the difference between the CFL and uh, I-League second division just in terms of uh, the quality of oppositions and uh, intensity of the uh, match day and things. So, um, But yeah, we did get uh, a lot of belief from that. I mean, it, it always helps to win things. It always helps. And uh, if you are contending for titles, whatever it may be, I mean... At that moment, that was the most important tournament we were engaged in. There was nothing else going on in our lives professionally. And uh, uh, that that was all that we were playing for. And it's good to walk away with it and uh, get the title and stuff. And the way we did it also, just going on to the last game and things, it, it adds a lot more layers to how, I mean, what sort of value we place on it. So, I guess you, can, you know that your team can handle pressure. So, that's probably one learning from that. Yeah, and plus, uh, just, I, I mean, uh, it, uh, it again comes down to we always reflect on the process. Where exactly did we break down and uh, where do we need to pick off? Uh, um, what were the bright points? And then again, we this whole improvisation bit is something that we really uh, tend to acknowledge a lot because there's only so much that we can do from the training ground till uh, what happens on match day. So we can plan, let's say, 80% of it, out of which only 50% will happen. And then the remaining 10, 20% is... Uh, what the players bring to the table, right? I mean, just these uh, bits that everything clicks, uh, they are in sync and things. So, uh, those are sort of bits that we really value. So, can we talk away before, as we spoke a little more about highly qualifiers and Durant Cup, coming back to the immediate challenge at hand, how do you see that tournament? Because you, I know, uh, and you have also made me into this uh, cultural enthusiast about, you know, culture obsessed with uh, sport and all these things. So, Durant Cup, 130-odd year history. 
uh, going into that for the first time playing isl teams are there i league teams are there yourself in delhi uh, also so how do you look at it like uh, as a challenge as a prestige of the tournament and uh, as preparation all these things so one is um, the whole uh, season has been built on just the fact that we fight for everything at any 90 minutes ahead of us any set of three points we have to go after it so whether it's durand or even uh, the friendly match that we played today the approach to it is that we uh, chase it down 100% we chase the game constantly so uh, the durand speaks for itself i think uh, even the foreigners have heard about it last day didn't get held but it always uh, something that uh, creates a bit of a buzz and things uh, when we announced to the squad it was about a couple of weeks back when we had just finished the inter squad game and but uh, and there were murmurs that we might get included but just the official announcement coming in you could actually see that uh, mm-hmm. uh, people were totally locked in and uh, also it uh, one has to manage a really long pre season because like i mentioned we've been in for 8 weeks now that is uh, two months with no official games and uh, to take forward the uh, exposure at uh, durand cup level to see where exactly we stand and really sort of again put those whole mental facets and our preparation to test because uh, we want to go as far as we can i mean at the end of the day every effort is going to go towards uh, see how far we can go into the durand because that again will sort of feed into the qualifying campaign as well yeah uh, a successful durand uh, god knows how people measure it even we don't have a parameter in terms of mm-hmm. if we get this far then it's a tremendous success and then because we don't want to sort of uh, write off anything or get ahead of ourselves it's just that uh, it's coming now we are prepared and uh, uh like you've mentioned like the whole culture around it and but uh, you go on to uh, the wikipedia pages you see 130 years of uh, durand history how many people have won it then you get the uh, cumulative uh, bits right like guys who won the yeah. titles more than anybody else so i mean those numbers have a lot of history behind them there's a lot of uh, stories behind them what happened during the world wars and stuff it was suspended and uh, mm-hmm. evolution of the tournament from foreign teams being invited to not becoming what it is to what it will uh, happen in uh, post pandemic and it's very clear that if we uh, uh, the tournament itself respects uh, good uh, organizations to come in and add some competitive muscle to it so on all fronts it's uh, it's a, i mean like i said like with the bdfa this will be the most important uh, platform that we engage in i mean there won't be anything else going on competitively for us there's no bit that if we do well here we get uh, champions league uh, entry blah 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 the durand is a durand so Uh, we will be totally focused on that yeah so you will be playing kerala blasters delhi and uh, the navy team so with the group right that's a group no that's not a group our group is crpf air force and uh, these guys oh sorry that is the bangalore fc group sorry sorry that's yeah, uh, yeah. i mean i let it this part out i don't want to you know <laughs> but yeah so how how do you <laughs> <laughs> so how do you see that uh, the challenge at least that three three matches are so confirmed because you've been doing eight weeks uh, it is about time that you probably would like any norm like uh, elsewhere if they start pre-season eight weeks is what they look like to start the season yeah. so it was about time that you wanted to start competitive games i mean you can play friendlies but competitive games is something different yeah totally so came at the right time for you as well yeah yeah and plus uh, i mean uh, it's a good i mean it's a really strong group because uh, we have the delhi champions we have the punjab champions and a team that uh, made it to the playoff stages in the i league mm-hmm. uh, mohammedin has uh, been very active in the transfer window so yeah. the game on the 14th is something that everybody is uh, looking forward to but we have to overcome the obstacles that uh, crpf and air force will uh, post on us and they've disturbed uh, teams like delhi fc and garhwal mm-hmm. in the delhi league which was grueling i mean they were playing a game every other day in mm-hmm. peak heat and this rain through the slushy ground and what not so at least in terms of uh, character and intensity we know that uh, the fc team won't uh, lack uh, in any of those and plus uh, crpf team as well i mean we've seen a few uh, games of theirs so now we need to figure out what best we will do to beat them and uh, uh, get the first six points and take it uh, game by game after that so yeah it would be fantastic to top the group that's the aim and then uh, see what happens uh, once that aim is fulfilled yeah so now uh, moving slightly away from football we have both into this uh, conspiracy thing yeah yeah 
<laughs> so i have been following that podcasting i mean i you know you turned me on to the uh, mk ultras and then yeah. i went into such a bender i went into so many books so many podcasts audio audio books and things like that my wife thought i was going to end up being a murderer because i was just mm. constantly listening to these things and consuming all these that's that's just generally how i am like if i'm into something i really go full in and then suddenly i'll go out so yeah that whole rabbit hole thing is very real and so what is your favorite uh, conspiracy theory is there something i can look for Now, just related to sports, I think I told you to get hold of that book, right? Man on Magic Carpets by Ed. I Austin. read it. <laughs> huh? You finished it? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that was by far the most uh, fascinating read, just in terms of uh, understanding. I mean, the, I mean, it goes across uh, various sports and things, but uh, mm. uh, but uh, I mean, it triggers a little bit of curiosity, and then uh, if you want to like go down a completely mild. Uh, sort of uh, segway and stuff then it goes into mindfulness and all the uh, other bits associated with uh, mm. the mind and uh, sport and things so mm. yeah so i mean uh, yeah but, that, but that's what i've been uh, looking a lot at uh, guys like Pete Carroll uh, picking mm. up from that then uh, Phil Jackson uh, coaches who are big on the whole uh, mental side of things and um, yeah. yeah it's been quite insightful less in terms of how uh, we are scripting our approach and stuff and uh, Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I mean this whole MKL trust stuff—that's a totally different level. But seeing yeah. Um, yeah, uh, how it applies to the sporting world and stuff, yeah, quite fascinating. So I've been actually doing a course on uh, sports and society, uh, and okay. more than halfway through it now. Uh, I think uh, eventually that will be my thing: leave journalism and go in that direction. That's my plan. I do. culture and all these uh, education i'll be going and convince some government to sort of uh, <laughs> buy into sporting culture then then the results will come yeah seriously i was just building a... it's insane like uh, the things that they teach and uh, how society reacts and through from the victorian era and now to now the dramatic changes that has gone through in multiple countries and how culturally sport is adopted by certain countries that sort of transforms into their own like football with let's say football with uh, brazil how the brazil approaches it and european approach it or asians japan approaches it. from in an indian standpoint uh, do you see any differences in culture like i was doing some reading into this also how kerala observes football or the So sort of imbibes with the culture of football, Goa and northeast whole other thing, Goa, Kolkata again a whole other thing, uh, Punjab as well. But I don't know what the football culture is there. But generally, is there anything that uh, you can shed some light on? Like how India is so massive, like we can't have one style of football. That's just that's just a myth. Like even Spain doesn't play tiki taka. So, uh, do you have any insights into that? it's been a while since i've sort of uh, broken it all down but yeah i mean uh, states that are have a very obvious bias towards the game and uh, prioritize it and but uh, uh, you see that uh, scattered across the country one is the northeast again the northeast is not exactly yeah one region as a lot of uh, people think is uh, yeah. eight different states that uh, have their own sub identities sub cultures and even within the states uh, again if you break down manipur you speak to the guys there Mm. I'll tell you guys from Ukrul have this uh, thing about show boating and guys from the mm. plains and all of that. Uh, they explain it quite well. Then again, difference between um, Goans you ask and they say you can just tell a, a player from South Goa when you watch him play. I mean mm. uh, those with and I'm sure Kerala haven't interacted uh, so much over there, but I'm sure you guys also have your whole bit about a player from uh, the hills or players from uh, Malappuram or players from. Mm. more of the city side and uh, bits like that i mean it's quite easy to identify and even bangalore has its uh, really strong football culture right yeah. from the towns and stuff like that uh, i mean the fact is you can't replicate it i mean minute you um, it's all come up organically right i mean just uh, bangalore football culture there's a very uh, strong uh, uh, organic uh, build to it as well as what's happened in kerala and stuff you really need to get down to the history how the Mm-hmm. what sort of uh, successes uh, brought them towards the game why why isn't cricket as uh, popular hukum they haven't caught on to that uh, whole uh, sort of bait that uh, cricket sort of uh, brings across what is it that attracts them and 
I think this whole Copa America bit as well, right? Recently, I mean, mm. uh, Argentina fans. Yeah. I mean, our neighbors, Bangladesh fans, and then you saw people in streets of Calcutta, uh, many parts of uh, Kerala, and things celebrating it as uh, uh, dramatically as guys in Argentina itself. I mean, you had cars and people had painted their houses and yeah. all sorts just to celebrate uh, Messi's first international title. I didn't lag far behind, but it's just that. Mm. Uh, so many things linked to it and when you spoke about style of play and things that exactly that i mean we have parts of bangalore that uh, identify themselves as the brazil of uh, bangalore and then you have a different approach to things in uh, different parts of the city there's a pele statue right here in gautam yeah. and uh, uh, and plus uh, i think big parts of uh, kerala and uh, goa identifying themselves with the portuguese style whatever it may be uh because again when you go down there and break it down you people there i mean people in those countries itself can't really tell you what exactly the football aesthetics or uh, ideals are so um, but yeah i mean it uh, to keep culture alive also is a massive effort and i think these states have done it better because mm-hmm. um, we hear so many of these stories about chennai having a really good uh, football culture at one point in time the chennai mm-hmm. league being the third oldest domestic league in asia or the world uh, something along those lines but some of that hasn't sustained because the people who carried those stories carry the legacy started going away they didn't uh, pass them on then the competition started to dry up and then uh, you speak to people uh, in the bombay football scene you get similar stories mm-hmm. and then the surprising bits are places like kolapur you go to belgaum uh, you go to uh, smaller towns in uh, mizoram and uh, manipur and so there you suddenly see or even bengal for that matter uh, for games that are totally unheard of you have thousands and thousands of people coming there and uh, watching and cheering them on so something over there is going right it, it might not be productive in terms of your sporting output it's not producing your world stars it's not uh, uh, really contributing so much to the national team but at least in terms of people coming out there uh, giving two hours of the day in the stands just to watch a bunch of uh, guys uh, fight it out uh, that's culture then i mean uh, it becomes a part of you right whether you uh, because very difficult to explain the fan that happens in the lower divisions in england where again you have Uh, 35 40000 people show up in a championship mm-hmm. and league uh, one league two one thing but that's culture right you can't help it which team you support which team you are uh, brought into and stuff it's it's, it's a lot like uh, religion it's a lot like uh, norms and uh, um, what's it called uh, rules that this is the team that you follow you go to a certain school you end up or the friends that you hang out with dictate the team that you end up following mm-hmm. so, um, you need to be part of it culture something that sort of sucks you in and then you sort of uh, Uh, get completely absorbed by it, and then uh, you become a part of it. I mean, without realizing it, it's uh, very much a part of it. And then you pass on your ideals, right? Then it uh, yeah. sort of uh, continues from you. So, uh, like you mentioned, those regions just now within India, they, that's exactly what's happening. And hope it sort of strengthens now, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe cricket doesn't get a stranglehold over there as well, and uh, and also other sports. I mean, not just. Uh, Uh, uh football but also like uh, i mean there's certain parts that play volleyball more than any other part of the country it's very difficult for us to understand bangalore mm-hmm. has that uh, extreme frisbee culture you have a few hundred people who meet and just throw frisbee around for me it's difficult to grasp what exactly what exactly the whole uh, lore is but it is what it is right i mean yeah. uh, to the outsider uh, you'll never be able to grasp what exactly these people going mad about and uh, uh, how where do they find the time to do this with so and something like i can't assess to the cricket culture because mm-hmm. uh, it's something beyond my uh, let's say there's no emotional connect as such so uh, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to understand or explain so yeah it yeah. comes down to that i mean it's a very very personal thing this whole sport culture it's insane like uh, recently we had the olympics that ended and we won seven medals and uh, everybody went i mean great achievement sure why not like, especially neeraj to get the gold medal uh, to perform on the day he was not favorite like the favorite guy absolutely tanked that day whatever reason injury or not feeling it so uh, that was all great but subsequently if you see the entire olympic contingent who did well went and played in diamond league last uh, the last two three days and in india we are still felicitating them and neeraj had to he fell sick twice because of all the felicitations and things so uh, it's just unbelievable what we have to uh, like we can't rest on our laurels no there is a thing also and they say oh we've done this so next time will be better there is no guarantee to that there's no support and uh, cultural support to that also i feel 
So one is, uh, what you mentioned, at least it sets a baseline. Now, mm-hmm. if you want to really uh, outdo PV Sindhu in the future, you have to win a gold. Yeah. Equaling her has already been done. So at yeah. least uh, we have a baseline. You know, our baseline now is seven medals at the Olympics. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully somebody takes the lead rather than again building a national javelin through institute or uh, something like that. You get a lot of these guys who are responsible for the results that Neeraj has secured. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the knowledge from the nutritionists, the knowledge from the coaching staff, the knowledge from uh, people who put this whole thing together. JSW's uh, institute in Bellary had a huge role to play in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to understand what exactly it is that uh, got them to identify Neeraj. I mean, obviously... Neeraj, at some point in time, he started standing out from the crowd as in he, he wasn't born with a javelin in his hand. Mm-hmm. But uh, what exactly brought him to the sport? At what age? Uh, then again, the genetic disposition, just the whole fast uh, uh, twitch muscles, whatever it is. I mean, you need to be a really explosive athlete mm-hmm. to chuck an object that far. Yeah. So, uh, all those factors, I mean, I hope those things sustain and those things are highlighted rather than uh, what's happening with him and uh, sort of questions that he gets asked on... Uh, Oh, yeah. TV interviews about uh, what food does he enjoy, uh, does he have a girlfriend and uh, do you like chat and all those things. I mean, um, uh, interview the people behind the scenes. I mean, interview his coaches, interview the people mm-hmm. who funded him, supported him. Uh, and also, I mean, try and understand, uh, like Mirabai Chanu, there's a really nice uh, bit in the Hindu the other day where mm-hmm. uh, they spoke about how in the, uh, I think, uh, late 80s, I shared that bit on uh, Twitter, just that uh, talking about how the coach had set up a weightlifting uh, sort of platform in his house mm. and these girls would come there and uh, practice at the mm. coach's house. I mean, it was a makeshift uh, uh, facility and things. And this was the first generation of powerlifters in Manipur, all women. But mm-hmm. uh, she had a bunch of idols to pick up. And that's what gave you Mirabai Chanu's uh, results, right? It's not that mm-hmm. uh, she fell out of the sky and these uh, people supported her and things like that. I mean, it's been, uh, let's say, 20, 30 years of trial and error and then you get the result. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying we can reduce the trial and error by understanding and documenting it and uh, sort of removing all the noise and uh, excess baggage from it. As in streamlining your cultural pathway, as in how do we bring in more girls into the sport? Uh, there is a social taboo towards weights and powerlifting and women and uh, them becoming too big, bulky, whatever it is. I mean, uh, you might see a lot more girls get into badminton thanks to PV Sindhu and Sanya Nehwal and what happened with the whole uh, tennis drive and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. what happened in Mirabai Chanu is a very microculture phenomenon. As in, uh, we need to understand what brought her to the sport. And then when you dig down a bit deeper, you realize that there always has been a strong culture of this uh, amongst the women in uh, Manipur, which is what uh, gives you all this. They don't, uh, this whole bit of fighting and all of that. I mean, uh, there's a contingent uh, that's come out of the Northeast that's fascinating because if you look at uh, the facilities where they grew up in, uh, right until they left for the Olympics. There's nothing to write home over. And that's not the most important. I think that's other aspect of culture mm-hmm. that we understand. It's not really having these uh, world-class facilities and uh, foreign coaches and stuff. The kids need to grow up in a certain uh, mindset and uh, framework of expectations and standards and stuff that uh, give you these uh, winners. And if that goes missing, then no amount of funding and stuff can replicate uh, let's say this uh, seven medal drive that we've had recently. Mm-hmm. Abhinav Bindra is a self-funded athlete from whatever I understand. I could be completely he wrong. Is, he, he is, he uh, is. But I think he had a range. So, um, uh, Sanya Mirza's uh, whatever fame that she accomplished, uh, it, it cannot be replicated as a result of culture. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, um, uh, even TV Sindhu's but uh, how do you ensure that uh, two sporting parents come together and give an offspring like TV Sindhu who has the height the athletic mm. disposition, all of these factors, right? It's a lot of things that come together to give you a champion because these are like one in a billion, uh, one in a million yeah, athletes, yeah. depending on which sort of uh, population you come from. So, um, but uh, again, like if you keep these uh, cultural links in place, the right person, the right athlete, the right process, the right coaches come together to give you constant and uh, repeatable success rather than mm-hmm. uh, us only noticing them at uh, the podium as in Half of these guys, we wouldn't know had they not made it to the podium. I mean, uh, uh, so uh, I think that aspect, if we can uh, inculcate it, right? Like, like from the school level, uh, sports days, but um, when I was in the school, got St. Patrick's in uh, Chennai for a really short time. But sports day was intense one over there. I mean, uh, it's like those uh, Jojita Wai Sikandar scenes in uh, what we saw on TV. <laughs> it was that dramatic. And we had all the other Jesuit schools uh, come in and solid competition. I mean, they would train mm-hmm. year-round. Our athletes over there 
and they were i mean just in terms of uh, the uh, work ethic and all that that went behind uh, inter school competition that was really intense so i, mean, I uh, it could be going on i mean you speak to a lot of delhi cricketers they'll tell you how intense uh, inter school cricket was in delhi when they were growing up that's sort of dying off now mm-hmm. everything's become academy and net practice and all of that and same scenes in uh, bombay as well so yeah. i mean uh, football also you speak to guys who played in the 80s and mid 90s they constantly tell you about amount of games that they played and uh, limitations yeah. set by the afa by giving them coupons and what not mm. because um, there was something to compete for there were a lot more trophies and things and we need to revive all of that i mean uh, without competition all of these processes that i spoke about nutrition blah 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 um, i mean uh, if i ask you or any of uh, or most of the sports journalists again it's too much to cover but we have no idea who our best high jumper is who our best long jumper is who's a uh, i mean that contingent as in what got them there do we have an understanding but you look at uh, the us sporting teams and they send hundreds of athletes and all of them are the pathway is well documented the school mm. school system really works for them and none of it is government central government funding from what i understand they need to no, no. generate generate their own sponsors and uh, yeah. bring the funding in for, for olympic funding. sport yes definitely Yeah, so uh, there is no the um, uh, it's mostly privately funded and fundraising and all all these drives that come in. So uh, because that's real culture kicking as in, and that yeah. gets you goals. As in, yeah, <laughs> there is also that uh, American system. One thing I like is let's say I come in a sports scholarship to a college, I have to maintain my performance for that scholarship yeah. to be valid, and I have to maintain a certain. Uh, marks or grades to keep that thing valid also so in here i can get in as a sport i have a friend who got in through football scholarship after one year he never played i for yeah, whatever reason so he continued to i mean i'm happy he got the education but yeah. that sports one spot is gone for someone who wasted it or it could be the other way around also means like the like the person does studies more and does not play no but the valuation in terms of Uh, I think the whole competition factor also sort of uh, drained away, right? I mean, uh, inter-college uh, rivalries aren't what it used to be. Inter-university game uh, games aren't as intense as they used to be. So, if there's not enough weightage to secure the national championship for university or college to prove that you're the best uh, college team in US, you look at how intense that whole competition is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That NCAA division. Yellow ball, orange ball, and all is massive. Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, crazy. Yeah, the funding yeah. that they get, the billion-dollar. franchise is the college sports team sports mm. teams but us are totally different ball game but in india again like the your you announce sports quota but uh, what are you competing at inter college games are about 3 4 games uh, if you qualify then it's additional two or something like that and uh, there really is no uh, uh, attractive pathway for us as spectators to follow like it would be great if uh, bangalore university versus madras university we had something like that to mm-hmm. uh, maybe hello india can, can do that who knows just hoping which one hello india they started some four five years ago yeah hopefully yeah 20 years from now if that because yeah. i think that's the whole idea behind it any which way yeah that is uh, you make it as intense and attractive as what the uh, us sporting culture is so but yeah, yeah it will take time it won't happen it'll take time yeah that's what somebody is asking me and i was like no i mean whether it's a good thing or a bad thing i was like i don't know because it's too too like it's only been five years give Fifteen years later or twenty years later, we'll see if it is a good thing or a bad thing. I just wanted to pick your brain about one more thing. So I was thinking of writing something on women's sport, um, but largely loosely based on Indian women's team, like cricket team or maybe probably football team because that's more my comfort zone. So um, while going through my that studies that I was doing, he was talking about the challenges for a women's team. Because generally, women's individuals are more successful than team sports, or more popular. Like a tennis or a badminton is more popular than football or uh, any other such sport, even worldwide. So, one is obviously the fact that uh, they have personalities and history. Like tennis had a women's team since the seventies. I mean, women's WTA since the seventies, or version of WTA since that time, and had great individual characters who stood up for things. Navratilova and Billie Jean King from that time on. So. to build that culture of uh, strong women playing that's fair enough and uh, in there are other sports like figure skating and gymnastics where women are probably more uh, famous than oh, the men who do this at the same time if you look at a women's sports team even a us football national team not so many people hear of it 
are, are following it as such because despite their insane success they have they have started late women obviously started late because of all the historical and cultural significant issues that they were going through you know from whatever till the second wave of feminism in the 60s so they had a late start and the team sports have lagged behind because maybe traditional narratives it takes time to set in there is no celtic versus rangers in women's game or uh, east bengal versus mohan bagan in women's game so when you look at the indian team or situation in india now for the women's teams cricket football whatever it may be uh, how long do you think it will take and uh, what do we do like do we have to create narratives for them because uh, isl tried to do that for isl teams with the maha derby and the steel derby did not really work as such so you can't create derbies also so what do you do you're asking in terms of uh, writers like you uh, covering it and uh, obviously having a overt passion towards uh, women's sports and things and what narratives can you build i mean the word narrative itself is hyping the truth right i mean you try mm. to add layers of it to make it interesting uh, for people to buy in and uh, maybe get their eyeballs or at least a whiff of attention where uh, they might think twice okay oh, this is happening maybe i should make some time mm. for it but i think uh, repetition of uh, competition repetition of uh, platforms repetition of uh, um i mean just these um, athletes getting some sort of exposure so if the women's season uh, is uh, played across uh, more tournaments or maybe a longer league uh, in places that are uh, sort of i mean uh, open to um, inviting them so it'll be great if uh, a place like manipur hosts uh, women's uh, national championship with these clubs as in rather than having mm-hmm. just a iwl i mean i'm nobody to suggest what the structure should be but mm-hmm. uh, the number of games they play if it can be scattered i mean not one entity like the aff taking charge of mm-hmm. uh, just at one league but if somebody comes over like let's say another state league comes over say that i want to invite all the teams here i want to do a presidents cup i want to do a uh, uh, army martyrs cup or whatever mm-hmm. it is i mean you just create uh, events and things to uh sort of give these uh, um, uh our female athletes a platform and a calendar that okay you are engaged uh, we're going to give you 30 games in the calendar and bits and take them to regions where you get these crowds and people will come mm-hmm. in and uh, and obviously as a result again the results won't be obvious because again uh, your uh, domestic results uh, linked to national team that takes time to sort of mm-hmm. uh, intertwine and bit right so uh, when we come to a point where uh, uh, the best women's team in the country is also giving you the maximum players for the national team uh, that will be a big big uh, step and then people will come in because those who follow the clubs they see the players playing for the national team then more uh, eyeballs yeah. will uh, go in towards that so the narrative but i mean you need to have a, a foundation to build a narrative on uh, foundations <laughs> uh, come from uh, representation founded narratives uh, are built on foundations of uh, performance on uh, foundations of uh, standing out in bits right so once you see a person standing out then you go and ask them what exactly was it about mm-hmm. and maybe you get the underdog stories uh, mm-hmm. you get these interesting teams uh, uh, some uh, 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 i mean bunch of female athletes uh, 40 years back decided that the boys are i mean we're going to start this team on our own I'm, i heard about this i think one of the teams in uh, northeast in, a, in the yeah, northeast yeah. i think manipur they decided that uh, this is going to be our domain this is our ground this is where we'll train and uh, but so that is great to see i mean like teams like uh, gokulam and stuff taking women's football as seriously as they are mm-hmm. the announcements uh, for the signings and stuff are as intense as they would announce a first team signing mm-hmm. so uh, but that's not enough i mean <laughs> again yeah, yeah. platforms permanent but and if you're asking in terms of social acceptance for girls to come into sports uh, the whole aspect that you mentioned about them going into more individual sports because of these whole icons being placed uh, out of them there being a strong legacy and maybe sporting value in terms of what's happening with the uh, women's team uh, in the US as in they get no any other traction that they are supposed to get there might be one of the most successful sports teams in history in terms mm-hmm. of uh, number of and they went to a competition made to the finals and titles and all of that so um, but again i mean uh, one is uh, i think it it will find its place eventually because again if you look at the history of women's sports how Uh, how recently has become as active i think the women's uh, cricket team played the first test match this year right or something like that uh, after a long time after like a decade or something yeah something yeah so so that needs to build in i mean uh, i think there was some decent buy in into the indian women's uh, t20 but because i keep following these um, 
comedians right on uh, mm-hmm. they have these uh, shows top shows as uh, Saurabh Pant and all these guys mm-hmm. they bring in a uh, lot of uh, sports writers and stuff and they discuss so it's uh, good to hear about it. and then even uh, Sharda Ugra on uh, Amit Verma's podcast Joy Bhattacharya on Amit Verma's uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcast and stuff when you listen to them then you get a clear idea of where exactly the problems are mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm just talking from a very layman's point of view from you give them a platform they'll come in but the amount of layers uh, sort of obstacles that uh, uh, the female athletes need to overcome just to start playing the game i mean let's let's forget about getting world titles and stuff like that but just the entry point into the game having access to it is so so difficult obstacles starting right from home parents being an obstacle mm-hmm. teachers being an obstacle friends being an obstacle social taboo kicking in and stuff i think that whole dangal movie it gave you a good idea of yeah, uh, yeah. even might be exaggerated might not be exaggerated but just the fact that they had to compete with boys to become as good as they were and now people will say that's why they become as good, became mm-hmm. as good as they did because they were mixing and matching it with the boys from a very young age but uh, i mean that was pure improvisation then right i mean this mm-hmm. they figured out that uh, wanted them to raise forward and we'll get a lot of those stories i mean uh, i think a lot of our women football players they speak about uh, growing up playing with yeah. boys as in uh, in the school team they would play with the boys and things and uh, because they bala devi keeps uh, talking about ratan bala grace dang me bala devi all of them i think all of them I, yeah all of them yes. Chibar, uh, yeah so there's so it it takes a lot of guts i mean not guts because obviously the parents allow you go out there and play it might just be that they grew up in a area that is uh, okay with uh, girls just, uh, stepping in and uh, playing and things but you can imagine how it might not be okay in many parts of the country also mm-hmm. uh, but even a game like badminton might be a huge obstacle so yeah. i have no answer man for that but it's just yeah, that, yeah, uh, talking about the, the top level uh, narrative where it needs to change it needs more platforms as in Uh, you need outstanding performances and bits like that so that you guys have something to write on yeah. and build on. It can't just be a five-game season, eight-game season that you... And then rest of the year, nobody talks about them till there is some other event. So yeah. uh, I think the whole uh, sports calendar needs to be sort of uh, a lot more active for them to really have these organic stories come through. So I have uh, one story about this. And then I have just one last question after that. The story is uh, my first ever crush, right? When I was a kid. was with this girl who used to play cricket with us just because uh, she used to come play cricket she used to bowl really fast and i was like yeah she is amazing like that was the first crush like you knew a small kid right she is the only one who used to come and she used to just destroy all of us so uh, yeah that's okay. that's my story and i remember that uh, the fact sad thing is i was recently telling someone about this because they brought it up and i was like i don't remember how she looked uh, how she Uh, if i see her on the road i have no idea what she looks like i don't even remember her name to be completely honest uh, i i bowl fast and i remember her sound the voice that okay. she had the, when she speaks that's the only thing i remember everything else is sort of yes. like this vague <laughs> memory so so the last you remember what your wife is around so you're being careful no i told her <laughs> i told her so it is it is innocent enough no long uh, what is it like 10 yeah, yeah. 20 25 years ago it doesn't matter So uh, the last question is: I saw you tweet something saying jalebi. Hmm. Where did that come from? Yeah, we, is, know uh, so we know jalebis. We know jalebis. We all know jalebis. All I'm of sure. us do. Yeah. So uh, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> that is a book called uh, uh, "Language of uh, Football." Oh yes, yes. It's that guy from England, right? Yeah, yeah. Just He's written parallel and all for from Kerala. No, no, no. Uh, it's called uh, "Do You Speak Football?" by Tom yeah. Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's something from Kerala. There's a nice one from Goa. So, but the jalebi thing, I figured is uh, pan India, as in everybody understands. Yeah. yeah. Where the Goan one was too specific to Goa, and the Kerala one is a bit too specific to Kerala. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was nice to see that some somebody's dedicated uh, publication space for. Uh, yeah, crazy. We have another one uh, in Kerala called Hanuman Gear. So uh, it's when the guy just runs with his head down and runs, and like uh, he does lot of body feints and legs and things because and uh, he's not really in control. He's not in balance, but somehow he gets to the other end. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's we had a friend who does that. We used to call him Hanuman Gear, Hanuman Gear, and then run. 
and then he just put his bald head down and lived it so uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so yes i mean next time i i'll maybe do it sometimes they continue uh-huh. without the ball also he gets plucked off the feet they're still going ah yeah, yeah because i always wonder so there are times when you get stuck in the corner right and then if you have to twist mm-hmm. and turn the moment i get out of it i'm really tired because of the effort mm-hmm. that you have to put in with your body movement and the, all those i keep asking like how are you able to do this like some 15 times in a row that uh, insane athlete he was slightly chubby also so i think he used his width very well to shield in between and things but hanuman gear that's what he used to tell him like if we couldn't pass out of the back like, just go man hanuman gear go 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 so yeah that's maybe something i should tell down karan to add to the vocabulary there i'll check if it's there probably not it's like probably a very small thing like maybe we came up with it. one second one thing i just tell you so they have one for each country right so it's easy to oh yeah, yeah. so parallel is that dribbler normal quick winger who dribbles because it's a fish that we have it's the small so fast fish rips naked yeah a parallel means a small freshwater fish from yeah, yeah. the backwaters of kerala that is uh, then there is a uh, pettu kida kunna one petti edukuma okay like yeah. you said it and yeah. uh, uh, lying down after labor petti edukuma this they say we also say this when there are strikers who get no offsides right who will just stand in front of uh, the goal post they will call them kappi no that's what they saying ha uh. Okay, he also called there's a goal angry striker who finds it hard to leave the opposition penalty area yeah petiyadukana and kappi also we say avan kappi alikya so he is just standing over there and probably talking to the goalkeeper so that's that often happens our guys will be talking to each other and he will be like running all over the place and he will just touch the ball and go celebrate so yeah we have kappi players also all part of culture no? like you said all part of culture yeah have to keep this alive Hundred percent, yes. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Richard, for your time, and yes. uh, it's always great catching up with you. Same here.